All right, if you'd bow your head with me. Father God, we come to you today with, with things on our mind and things on our heart, and we just know that you promise to take care of those if we are willing to relinquish them to you. And so God, at this moment, all the, everything that was, was spoken about and the ones that have been kept secret and in, in, inside, uh, God, I just ask that you would breathe that peace that you promise us in Philippians onto those worries, but also help us glorify and exalt the things that are joys and thanksgivings that you give to us. God, you are awesome and great. You've brought us all here a reason. And as we get to talk about community today and what that means, it's always fun to do that amongst people, which is why you created us, so that you could have community with us and we could have community with each other. And so, God, I just pray that you would uh, speak through me, that the Spirit would share your words of truth, and that we would all have ears to hear and a heart open to what it is that you have to speak to us today. pray all this in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're at week two of our new series, um, going through what our church vision slash mission statement is which is that we are a gospel community worshiping, serving, and growing together. Um, last week, Steve talked about what the gospel was and, and kicked off this, this series. And I get the pleasure of talking about community um, this week. And community is one of my favorite things. If you know me for even like 30 seconds, you would know that I am an extreme extrovert. Okay. <laughs> Like, that is, that is not uh, something that is a secret. Um, and so community for me is really, really important. Um, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what biblical community was originally called to be, what it actually was, and then what for us it can look like as well in an achievable and attainable fashion. And so... What I want to do is I'm going to focus on this because this is why community is so important. In Matthew, it says, for where two or three gather, there am I with them. Right? And so that's an encouraging thing. And as a believer and as someone that wants to continue a life amidst Christ and, and with him in our life, this is very important. It doesn't say just where you are, I am there with you, but it says where two or three gather, some say two or some versions say two or more, there I am with you. And so immediately there's this idea that community is extremely important, right? So this is Jesus talking. If you go back to Genesis, right, after God made everything and then made man, he was like, all right, it's not good for man to be alone, so he made woman, right? Immediately a community was made amidst that. And now you have your crazy cat ladies and you have your dog parents, right? That think that that covers, but if Adam wasn't, if it wasn't good for Adam to just be with every animal in the world, it's not good for crazy cat ladies and dogs. Those don't count as community, right? People are what make community. And so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, uh, 37 through 47, because here we get the first real picture of what the first church community looked like outside of Jesus's physical interaction, outside of what we now know. This was 
the bread and butter. This was where it started. This was when it was at its purest form. And so we're going to take a look at this. Um, I'm really excited because if you look at Acts 2 and Acts 4, the end of the chapters are almost identical. And it talks about just how important community is. And so I'm going to go ahead and read, and then we're going to look at a few verses. I generally don't like to jump around scriptures uh, too much because then you have to try and find the book and, and it makes things difficult and you can lose some of the meat. So if you have your Bible with you or grab a Bible uh, off the chairs next to you, we're going to spend most of our time here. The other verses I will turn to and read, but I do have the indexes up on the screen for you to jot them down if you're taking notes or to lock away in your mind. All right, so chapter 2, 37, we're only going to read to 42 to start out with. And it says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified, and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. Right, and so I want to stop there real quick because I'm going to ask the question, okay, what should we do? Because that's the first question that was asked in this passage. All of the other people that were gathered around after the day of Pentecost that happened, which that was earlier in chapter 2, they were asking the question, okay, what now? Like, cool, we heard your testimony of Jesus's life. What do we do now? Right, and so Peter's first response was a foundational response. Repent, be baptized of your sins, and receive the Holy Spirit. Right? Before anything, it wasn't go, like, clean yourself off or do anything like that or go get a friend it was understand the gospel, right? That's it. That was the foundational thing that Peter spoke to these people. Why? Why would, why would that be his foundation? My idea of it is because he wanted everyone to know this is a community. This is what we're after. We have a purpose. We have a direction in which we're going. This is the start of that direction. If you wish to be a part of this community, you need to repent, believe, and accept the Holy Spirit so that you can join in our direction. Have you ever been in a, a group project at school? This is probably the easiest example where a majority of you want to do one thing for the project and there's that one person that thinks it's way better to do it this other way. The group doesn't work out very well if that's the case. So the same thing happens in community, where if we don't all go in the same direction, the community is probably not going to be the most successful. 
right? So there's a verse up there, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It's a greatly, I'll probably say overused verse when it comes to speaking about who we hang out with. It says, do not deceive yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. Everyone's heard that verse, right? Growing up, I used to think that verse was like overly exaggerated because I was like, I could hang out with anyone and not be changed while I lied to myself, right? And we lie to ourselves if we think that we are untouchable by that same principle. So personal story, when I was in college, I was doing college ministry and starting my my personal growth. I lived off campus and I lived in a house full of guys, none of which were believers. And I was like, cool, I'm going to turn them all and they'll become Jesus people like me and we'll just have this great thing. (laughs) That did not last very long. It wasn't a big change in my character, but I could see over the years that I lived in this house, my character slowly started to deteriorate. And if you've been here, the last couple of of services I've talked about where I've lost this, this concept of emotion, I've lost this ability to be happy, and I can pinpoint it back to that time. I used to be a really outgoing, happy person, and I enjoyed making other people feel that same way, but living amongst people that just wanted death, they didn't care to grow, they didn't want to be challenged, slowly ate away at my desire to be happier, my desire to move forward in life. It didn't hit me until like six years later, right? But that's, that's how powerful even one bad apple is in our community. Jesus gives the same warning where he says even one drop of yeast can ruin an entire loaf of bread or an entire bundle of dough, right? A thing of yeast is almost microscopic. To ruin an entire thing of bread because of one little thing is nuts to think about. And so for us, the challenging part is, okay, where is that in my life? Where is that in my community? And I think within the church, and I think this is why Peter made sure this was the very first thing to be said, is if anything got passed at the start of the church community, then we wouldn't have an example to look at today. And so Peter drew a hard line and he was like, look, this is first and foremost. If you're not willing to do this, you can't be here. And in churches today, we live by this mantra of of everyone's accepted and everyone can be a member. And while that's good, because we want people to know the love of God, By allowing anyone to come in, it can corrupt the community if they're not headed in the same direction we are. And so we see here that Peter didn't turn anyone away, but he made it very clear if you wanted to be an actual part of this community, this is what you need to do. Long gone are the days where churches, in order to become a member of the church, you would have to go through a class. You would have to take quizzes in order to become a church member. Nowadays, you just throw a few bucks in an offering bin and you can call yourself a member. There's no commitment to that, right? You hear people talk about all the time, if you give someone something for free, they don't care about it. 
make them work for it, they'll cherish it. Community is the same way. And so our church community should be something that we want people to work for. We want people that are headed in our same direction. We want people that are willing to commit to the cause. If not, we're probably going to be distracted. We're probably going to not be as powerful as what we were capable of. Secondly, in verse 40, it talks about how Peter continued to exhort the people in the community. Now, I went on a kick with, uh, I, think, I believe it was our Nehemiah series where I was like defining a word every service. Exhort was one of those words. It means to encourage. And he encouraged people by sharing testimony, which is really awesome to hear. It wasn't Peter just re-speaking words that Jesus had shared. It wasn't other people sharing words that they thought Jesus or coming up with their own ideas. It was, I'm going to share my life with you to encourage you. Right? We're told in scripture that if I'm struggling with something, it's a guarantee somebody else has been or that they already went through it. So I can use that to encourage others with my testimony. One of my favorite verses about a testimony comes from John 4. It's a common story, the woman at the well. Jesus is at a well, meets this Samaritan woman who was a, uh, not the most best character woman. We'll just put it that way. Um, and Jesus spoke with her about a living water a well that never runs dry. And he was speaking about himself and what he could offer her instead of the life that she was chasing with having multiple men that she laid with. And so she, she runs back to her village after this meeting with Jesus and tells everyone her testimony. And at verse 439, it says, many of the Samaritans of the village believed because of her testimony. He told me everything I'd ever done. So now this is coming from a woman that, that had multiple husbands and multiple people that she laid with. And in today's society, that's very frowned upon. Back in this time, very frowned upon. Yet she was willing to go and share this brokenness with people because it was an encouragement to what Jesus has to offer. And so here we see, Paul, we see Peter doing the same thing, that he was encouraging those around because of the stories he would share of his life and his interactions with Jesus. I can only imagine being one of the people in this crowd and Peter sharing the story of Jesus' love. Like, look, I said I didn't know this guy three times when he was basically on his deathbed. Like, he was headed to and I denied him even though I've just spent my last three years learning from him and realizing who he is. That would be powerful to hear amongst people to be like, holy crap, how, like, how did that switch happen? Like, why did you deny him if you spent all this time with him? Peter was probably like, I don't know, I just did, and it sucked. 
And so here we see another very important part of community is because each of us have a different walk of life, each of us have gone through different things, we are able to help those that may feel helpless. I don't know how many times I've talked with someone who has used the idea of, oh, this is something I have to deal with. No, that's such a lie to make you pull yourself out of community when there's probably someone right next to you that can help, that can assist in that situation. But we live in a time now where we want to be by ourselves and we live in a region where if you ask for help, you're deemed weak, right? It's the New England way do it by myself and not ask for help. It's a great contradiction to what it is that we're called to do as believers, as a fellow body member of Christ. And so reaching out and asking for that help is a swallow of pride, which is hard, but I can promise you it'd be worth it every time. And so the encouragement that comes from community is huge. The last one that I want to just look at really quick and then we'll, we'll come back to it at the end is the amount of devotion that the people of the community had. And we'll revisit this in a second. But verse 42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And when we read 43 to 47, we'll see their level of devotion, which probably puts most of us to shame nowadays. So the question that I want to raise here is, now what does that look like? We see what the foundational, like the, the bottom line of what a community is. A group of people that believe in the same principle and are headed in the same direction and a group of people that encourage each other and ones that are devoted to that purpose. That's a community at its absolute core. So let's see what the first community looked like in practice. Verse 43 says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's powerful to hear and then reflect upon oneself. So here we see the practical application of what their community looks like. It was people selling what they had to give to others. That's nuts. If you think about how many people we know in our lives that need something, and we have it, I, I could probably say pretty 
securely, the, the odds of us selling our things to give to them is, is almost zero. Right? That's just the day and age we live. And now, granted, there is just, we have a lot more to worry about today with bills and, and all of that stuff that they didn't have to deal with. Right? So there is a, a change in times that we have to take into consideration. But it says sincerity of heart, and that's the key. If I'm in a community and I know that there are people struggling and I just brush it off of, whoop, that's, that's their issue, not mine. That's not a sincere, a sincere heart to be in that community. Right? One of the big things that I'm guilty of, which I've been getting better, I'm, I'm proud to say, is how many times I tell people I'll pray for them and then I just never pray. Right? Within the church, that's probably the number one response if someone's having issues i'll pray for you and then not pray right because it slips our mind because we get too fulfilled in ourselves and in our own lives that we forget about our community right and here we see that that wasn't an issue because they were thinking about each other at all times because they sincerely in their heart cared about those that were next to them The encouraging part about this is right at the beginning, it says that there was a sense of awe within this community and that there was crazy stuff happening all around them. Right, sure, we don't see miracles as much today as they did back then, but we probably see more blessings if we actually realize it. And we would be able to see that in each other's lives if we talked about it. If people cared to go up and be like, bro, Jesus was fantastic yesterday. Let me tell you this. That's the same thing as seeing a miraculous sign because it's God working in someone's life. Just this morning, I was bringing Linda into church and she was laughing about how funny God is and how faithful he is to us, which is a valid statement that she's been stressing about making sweaters for all of her grandkids. And she was at a, a yard sale and there just happened to be people selling sweaters for kids that were really nice for five bucks a pop. And she didn't know that it was there, but she prayed about it and then it just like poof, appeared. Like Alibaba from Aladdin, just whoop. Right, that's the God that we follow and that we serve and if if she didn't share that with me, then cool. That's not, that's not something I get to celebrate and, and be encouraged by with her. So, so my awe factor within the community is automatically lower than what it could have been. Right? And so that's, that's the best part about what a community can look like and why we can do that today if we just share our lives with people and talk about God being awesome in whatever way, shape, or form that it happens. That's our miraculous sign. And then the even better part is I can guarantee 100% in doing so, at the end it said that people were added to their number day by day. That's God's promise. 
See, the cool thing about love is love is contagious. If people see it, they want it. So in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus gives us a command to love people. And at the end of it, it says, all people will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. It doesn't say that we need to go around and preach it to everybody. Someone should be able to look at the way I live my life with somebody else and be like, I want that. Like, that's what I want. There's one more to the community just based on that sincere heart. On that sharing of encouragement and excitement and miraculous signs. There's no denying it. So, I want to ask the question for us, what does this look like? Today, if we look at our church communities, if we look at our other communities that we're a part of, why should they look any different? If I'm a part of that community, I should want it to look the same. I should want people to be headed in the same direction. I should want people to come and feel encouraged by either stories that I can share of my life or share in the blessings that I have been shown with other people. But I think our biggest issue today is the devotion factor. People are afraid to devote themselves fully to a cause because they're afraid of getting hurt. I think the people that are the most guilty of that is the church community. Because on the surface, we open our arms and we act like we love everyone and we want everyone to come in because it's what we're supposed to do. But then if we look at how many people make a mistake or fall or trip up in life, they're immediately kicked out. Why would we throw someone to the wayside when they need us the most? That's not what Jesus did. And it's because we're not devoted to the addition of our community as much as we're supposed to be. Sure, it's hard work. It really is. Just recently, I've been struggling with how difficult living this way is. I confide in my mentor all the time. It's like, this is, I'm burnt, like, can I, can I wave the white flag? It's not easy to do continually. I, uh, I joke with a few friends, and I think I've shared this story a little bit before, about being people's Jiminy Cricket. Right? So Jiminy Cricket was a figment of imagination pretty much in Pinocchio, and he would show up and give encouragement and be what someone needed him to be, and then poof, he was gone. In ministry, that's kind of what we are. And today, in the community, they know they can get in, they can feel good, and then get out and not need us anymore. And I truly think the reason it has become that way is because of the lack of devotion. One of the best stories that I've ever heard from someone in this in this job, in this position, my late mentor um, that recently passed, he was 
following up a guy in Sweden when he was over there. And this guy wanted nothing to do with God. He would meet and have tea with him every week. And this kid would just berate on who God was. But he was devoted to just sharing life with this guy. So he left Sweden. It was about 10 or so years later. The guy ended up coming to America to come to to school and to get a job. Wrote my mentor a letter talking about the experiences that my mentor had shared with him. He lived through. Knew how to react. And so it goes to show that the level of devotion that we put into people, even if it's not right away that we get to see the reaping of that, it comes to fruition. And so the reason I wanted to hold off on devotion and touching on this is because that is, in my opinion, the biggest thing that we struggle with today. Because it's difficult and it hurts. Anyone that has been married or has kids knows this very well. It's not always the easiest. It's not always the most fun. We look at our relationship with God and his devotion to us as his creation. All of us can attest to how garbage we treat him at times. But he's still devoted and still faithful to us. So, being as we are made in his image and we are the embodiment of his love, our devotion should be likewise. So if you have a Bible, I do want you to turn to this one. It's the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 10. Hebrews is right before James. It's a good bit through the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 23 to 25. And I believe that this fully embodies the level of devotion that we are to have amidst the community. And I would just say community in general, not even as as the church community, but in any other community that you can think of. It says, let us hold fast the confessions of our hope without wavering, for he promised, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So right out of the gate, we see in this verse, it says, let us hold our hope, our unwavering hope, to he who has promised us is faithful. That's the gospel. If we are unwavering in our hope in the gospel, God promises to be faithful to us. Right? That's the easy part. Then we get to the hard part. Let us consider how we may stimulate, some versions say, stir up or spur on or encourage each other to love and good deeds. 
This is the exhorting aspect of a community. If I'm sincere about growing the community, I would rather spur people on to doing good deeds and to love than anything else, right? Nothing's going to grow if I continually throw dirt on it. That's just not the way it goes. A relationship with people, and I'm very guilty of this, if I continually berate them and tell them negative things, they're never going to want to grow and be positive. Right? That's just, that's natural. And so the encouragement of others is key. And then in 25, it says, not forsaking our own assembling together not giving up on meeting together. It says, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as we see that they approach it. So it's this idea that if I want to be a community with people, I have to be with those people. Church today is very much a one day a week thing. It doesn't make for a good community. It doesn't even have to be Bible study throughout the week. Getting coffee counts. Getting dinner counts. Right? It continually talks that people would go house to house to break bread. If you tell me you have food, I'm there. Like, let's, let's not be coy about that. If there's food, I'm there. Right? But then we get into the part where it says that they also pray together. Right? It almost feels as though some people are embarrassed of prayer nowadays. I have a friend that hates praying out loud to people, and it cracks me up. Because if you tell me that, I'm going to make you do it. That's just the way I am. Right? And so I was out celebrating my birthday with people, and she was a part of it. And before we went to pray, we did the nose-goes game, and she was the last one. I was like, all right, cool, you're praying. She's like, nope, nope. I was like, yep. Go ahead. Right? It's because we we have a lack of prayer that we have people that are afraid to pray, that are embarrassed to pray, which there means devotion to the community is automatically lowered. And so that's what I was really happy that I got left with talking about community, because as you can tell, I'm passionate about it. Um, It's just, it's so gratifying to be amidst the life of others. I went through a really hard time. I'll share this one last thing and then we'll close. I, I went through a hard time not feeling like I was welcome into any community, that I was never someone that people wanted around. And so I always hid in the back. I would make sure everybody else was having a good time, but I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to be amidst the community. No matter where I went, it could even be people that, you know, I thought were friends. That was still the way I felt. And what, what really helped me change this, this thought process was really two people. That actually showed that they do care. And even though their devotion isn't always with me because we can't be together 24-7. Just the idea 
of how much they believed and wanted me to to live out this life is what enabled to keep me going in a direction that I knew I should. That encouragement that would seep over into the rest of my life could last for a while. And so when I was feeling the most burnt out and I had to, I actually had to stop meeting with guys because I just couldn't do it anymore because I was becoming bitter. I was becoming a very negative person because I wasn't being filled up by those that I felt should. I'm, I'm here expending all of my energy, but not getting anything back in return. And again, that's ministry. But then I realized it was my perspective that needed to change as well. And so when I came to a realization of just how much I have been spilled into by others, not even a question anymore. And so I say that as an encouragement that there might be people in your lives amidst your community where you just feel absolutely nothing in return. Keep going. The sincerity of your heart is going to change them one day. Because they'll hit a point where they are dry and they have nothing else to give. Or it might be the opposite where they just can't be mad anymore. And they'll think back to who it was that fed into their life. That can be you. If you fully devote to this thing that we call community. Let's pray.